Patrick North works in trucking dispatch in Gibraltar, Michigan. He's obviously smart, very curious, has a lot of plans for his life. He's 36 years old. But his way here has not been straight. His situation was not ideal from the very beginning. I grew up uh, with a single mom. Um, my dad left when I was, uh, you know, about a year old. They struggled to get by. We, we had to move to Pontiac to subsidize housing. His education was spotty. I did not finish high school. And it doesn't end there. North warns you that his story is long and complicated, and it is. The hits just keep on coming. My wife had a traumatic brain injury in 2004. That derailed me. That's when I became addicted to opiate painkillers. You get the idea. But here's the thing. Patrick North is a survivor, and a lucky one. He eventually kicked drugs and got his act together after years of bouncing around in seemingly dead-end jobs. Today he has a good one, which he owes to his own work, but a fair amount of help. Given his history, it's a little bit of a miracle, all things considered. Now there are a lot of Patrick Norths in Michigan, people with high school or community college credentials who want to work either at new jobs or better ones. Most of the openings in Michigan are for the types of positions they could fill, what we call low or middle skilled jobs. Employers desperately need those warm bodies, but the various efforts to connect employers with potential workers like him are at a mismatch, which is the subject of our latest research. This is Facts Matter, the Citizens Research Council of Michigan podcast. I'm Nancy Derringer, Communications Director for the Research Council, and in this podcast, we look at Michigan through a policy lens. Our discussions here are informed by our 104 years of experience doing nonpartisan, fact-based research on policy issues. We hope this podcast will serve as another way for the public to access our work, which is, as always, free and available to all at our website, crcmich.org. My guest today is Eric Lufer, and we're discussing our latest paper here at the Research Council, Overcoming Obstacles for the Underemployed, which looks at some of these issues. So, Eric, welcome. Thank you for uh, having me back. It's good to talk to everyone again. Yeah, to walk down the, uh, walk down the hall and sit in our luscious offices. Anyway, <laughs> uh, let's start with the overarching conclusion here. Uh, Michigan has a labor shortage. Michigan has workers who could probably fill a lot of these jobs, but the workers aren't finding their way to the companies hiring for them. Um, let's start by kind of running through a few of the reasons for that disconnect. Can we? Yeah, I mean, so the first thing we really looked at in the report is the, um, the labor force participation declined during the recession and hasn't bounced back as it has in other states or has it has in past recovery periods and it's really an unknown at this point why that's happening um, but just getting back to where we were before the recession would put hundred and eighty thousand more people in the labor force and how much more could we be doing then as an economy and if we could go back to the labor force participation from 2000 we would have almost 500,000 more people in the labor force 
so we could start to address it that way. And then we looked at the uh, people marginally attached to the labor force through part-time employment, through um, contract work, things of that nature, and, and try to dig into you know, what's keeping them from being better engaged. And we found a number of hurdles that really get in the way with how we've uh, provided government services and, and some of the issues uh, that really affect this population. Now, let's back up, and for people who aren't familiar with some of this terminology, when we say workforce participation, we're talking about people who are, um, who during the recession may have lost their jobs, um, like a lot of us did, um, went home, maybe they were on unemployment for a while, um, but now for whatever reason are not back in the game now that the economy has recovered and we have we have jobs for them. Is that what we're talking about here? Yeah, the, the federal government, um, working with the states, they try to figure out what is the labor force. So obviously if you're employed, you're in the labor force, but if you're not employed, are you looking to be in the labor force? So they consider you then unemployed, uh, either unemployed receiving benefits or for some people those expire, um, but you're still interested in being employed you're just looking for that opportunity. So that's considered part of the labor force. There are some people who are unemployed and for whatever reason are not looking for a job that pays them to do something. Some of them are homemakers or, or the disabled or, or whatever. So there's some very legitimate reasons why people would not be um, part of that. But anybody who is either employed or not employed, part-time employed, these are all part of the labor force as long as there's an interest in participating. And, and so that, as I said, that number that is um, just stop participating. We know they're of working age, um, capable Presumably of working. They didn't, they didn't win the lottery, so they have a, they, they've just given up maybe? They've just, it's seemingly, or, you know, there's always the black and the gray market. Right. Um, doing part-time jobs, getting paid from one thing or another. The government doesn't know what you're doing. Okay. That's some part of that. We, we know that, but that's always existed, right? So okay. what's different this time around okay. is really the question. And, and we did find, um, you know, five or six um, concrete reasons that people might be out of the workforce now. Right. Can we just kind of run over through these? I mean... Geography is probably the biggest one. Yeah, the geography. So our study looked at Michigan in total. Um, we found roughly equal number of people capable of being employed to a greater extent in the number of jobs, but there's that geographic mismatch that a lot of the, uh, the potential workers are in northern Michigan. A lot of the jobs are in southeast Michigan or over in the Grand Rapids area or you know, sort of our, our population center. So how do you get the people to where the jobs are or, or you know, open a branch factory or whatever where the potential workers are? That's the first question of mismatch. Um, supposing we can, we can get the people here, then the question is, um, are they willing to move for the wages that are available? A lot of these low-skilled jobs, medium-skilled jobs don't pay a great deal. So 
how much disruption in your personal life and your home life are you willing to undertake for a job that's not going to pay great. Um, we're going to need some place to put them and housing cost in Southeast Michigan and the West Michigan Grand Rapids area uh, are increasing. Mm -hmm. Good for me as a homeowner that my house is appreciating, but uh, for these population, they have to have some place to stay. And if that property values are going up, then rents are going up and that makes it more expensive. Right. And where we're going to put them is probably not close to where those jobs are. So we need reliable, consistent, affordable public transit to help them get around. That's obviously been missing. Um, so it's just one thing after another. And child care. Let's talk about child care. Uh, child care is a huge issue for is. younger people if, right. who have children. As well it should be, you know. I, I want to work. I want to do things. I need to um, make a wage, but I don't want to do it at the expense of the health of my child or, or you know, park them in front of a TV and, and they'll be safe, but they're mind-numbingly not doing anything. Right. So you want to have some sort of quality child care that's going to stimulate their brain, prepare them for preschool and, and kindergarten and, uh, you know, the rest of their lives. So finding those opportunities and being able to afford those opportunities. I was just going to say, even if you can afford good child care, it, it's like paying for a college education at a time in your life when you're fairly young yourself. Yeah. And if you're already talking about a lower middle skilled job, there's just not, I mean, it's insane, the, right. the, the cost of good child care. So we have a government program that is supposed to assist this population with accessing child care. The problem in Michigan is that we have set the bar for eligibility so low that you have to be, uh, you know, just just above poverty to be able to afford it or in poverty. And once you start working, then you phase out of child care, that child care subsidy. The amount that the subsidy pays is not so much. So you're not buying uh, class A child care here. You're, you're finding someplace that you might be comfortable. Your child is, is safe. Um, and you know, I'll let you get on with your day, but this is not doing a lot. So um, our state policymakers are aware of this, and there's discussion to change eligibility and change the amount of subsidy. Um, but, but it's it a slow process. It yeah, needs exactly. to happen. And then probably the last um, subgroup here is is health, and um, you know the uh, some some health-related issues for this particular population, including, of course, the big one, which is, you know, the opiate crisis, which has disproportionately affected um, people in this cohort, but also, you know, other matters of public health, right? Well, yeah, so um, the opioid crisis is clearly an issue. Uh, those are sort of uh, actions of despair that life's not going well, so you look for uh, things that change that in your in your mind or whatever um, Michigan has high levels of disability it's sort of strange we we haven't really got our arms around why what's driving that uh, but especially in the northern parts of the lower peninsula uh, high concentrations of people receiving disability from Social Security that's a big issue um, 
and now we're introducing marijuana into our state, legalized marijuana, and a number of businesses are saying that's just not going to do. They want to have a drug-free work environment, the safety of all their other coworkers is important. The safety of the product they're producing is important. Uh, so, so while state law says you can recreationally use it, if you want to be employed, if you want to have good-paying jobs, you've got to stay away from it. And and that's just going to create a whole lot more burdens for these people to try to navigate um, being clean. Um, right. You know. Staying, yeah. staying away from that type of stuff. Right. Okay. So there are um, there are workforce development efforts uh, throughout state government, um, but we found that there's kind of a mismatch between the programs that are there to help people get to work and the people who are actually looking for work or or would be good candidates for some of these jobs. Um, how do those? To, how did that mismatch come to be, and how do these these two forces intertwine with with one another? Yeah, so we counted some thirty programs that the fe- the state government operates, and most of those are funded with federal funding. Either either all the money or a majority of the money to fund those programs comes from the federal government. And with federal funding comes restrictions on the funding on who can be served and what type of services can be provided. And sort of when you look at those list of programs, you see that a lot of those are either relics of the 1930s when we were fighting unemployment or the 1970s or or some recent ones. So either to serve the unemployed, make them employed again, or to help returning citizens to um, to help people in poverty get out of poverty, but this whole population of people who are part-time employed, marginally attached to the workforce, they you know don't need the same type of services. They need some soft skills on managing um, managing showing up on time and and doing a number of things um, and the types of services first of all, these people aren't eligible, and if we could make them eligible, the type of services being provided just don't fit with their needs. So um, we're spending a a lot of money, a lot of it federal money, to deal with talent issues and workforce issues, but we're not helping this population, and as a result, a number of employers continue to look for employees, and they're out there. We're just not helping them find them. Hmm. It's interesting because this particular cohort of worker, um, I think the the United Way came up with, um, I mean, for years we called them the working poor. And then I think the United Way came up with a a more media-friendly term, which they call ALICE, which is an acronym. And it's it's Asset Limited Income Constrained Employed. employed. Right. So which is basically people who who have a job, who, who are good, you know, Good workers, but they just don't have a lot to fall back on, right? Yeah, to me, that last word is the most important part in there. These people are employed. Right. They've shown an inclination to help themselves, to look. They're not looking for a hand up. Uh, not looking for a handout. They're looking for a hand up. They're trying to help themselves. They want, um, they want to find that way of navigating through this and, and become better employed 
um, be able to make the wages to support their family and, and do all the right things. Um, but it's difficult. You know, right. One morning they don't come out. They come out and the car doesn't start. They can't show up to work. You don't show up to work. You don't get paid. One morning they wake up and their kid has a cold and somebody's got to take care of the kid. Don't show up at work. Don't get paid. Now they're back into poverty and, and living off of government subsidies and, and whatnot. The very thing we're trying to avoid, the very thing we're trying to, uh, to reduce those numbers, but if we don't give these people the ability to navigate these types of things, then they're going to stay in that cycle between part-time employment uh, and poverty. And, and instead of helping them up, we just continue with the cycle with our policies of child care and transit and housing and all the rest everything else yeah yeah some of these problems uh seem to be a little more um solvable or at least addressable maybe that's a word uh than others i mean we have a a large uh number of these folks living in northern michigan and but you know geography is is pretty stubborn i mean we can't bring northern michigan down Mm -hmm. to where the jobs are and you know it's a it's a vicious cycle because employers who are looking to locate they want a place where they you know have all the amenities that they probably need you know access to a highway perhaps or and and of course access to a large talented workforce and they're much less likely to find them up there so i mean you know we all love northern michigan it's where you know downstaters go on vacation and and the people who live up there year round they love it but if there's no work for you what are you going to do right, it's it's a hard one uh, we're trying to figure out the issues of rural michigan and what can be done and and this is top of the list we have to have meaningful employment for these people and be able to attract businesses um, show the the people in their uh, in school that it, they need to finish school and get that diploma and there's something a reward for that work at the end of the line and things are heading in the wrong direction on that front we're mm-hmm. having fewer employers in rural Michigan and there's fewer opportunities and um, it's, it's not particular to Michigan a lot of America is going through this um, but we've got to figure something out. We, we just can't right. ignore this and, and hope it goes away. Right. It's hard um, even to, to hire highly skilled uh, workers for, for Northern Michigan, too. I, I spoke, I, I've had a relationship with a uh, business owner in the, the northwestern uh, Michigan, Petoskey, up in there, and, and uh, he says... You, the first thing you learn is you never hire anyone in July because everybody wants to live in northern Michigan in July, but you know then then January rolls around and suddenly Chicago isn't looking all that bad at all. So, yeah. So we've done work in the past looking at the availability of healthcare workers, and a lot of rural Michigan is healthcare deserts. They they right can't find an obstetrician. They can't find mental health uh, support. There's no not enough surgeons. On and on all through the medical field, um, and that plays out in so many different fields, so many different professions. As, an, uh, as a professional, somebody who's been credentialed through degrees or, or skilled trades, um, a lot of times you want to be where the people are and there's greater ability to sell your service to 
be able to f- perform the task that you've mastered and maximize your income. And and rural communities just don't lend themselves to that. Right. So you sort of have to have a altruistic incentive to be there either because that's where you're from or, or you're right. comfortable in that community, you know, whatever, helping those those populations. Um, but the income side isn't the hugest incentive to be there. Right, exactly. And a lot of times people who have college degrees, who have, um, you know, uh, post-secondary training, who've gotten, gotten a little bit uh, ahead in the world, they want the same for their children. And so they want, you know, the kind of schools that offer multiple advanced placement courses so mm-hmm. that their kid can get into an elite university. I mean, it's a, it's a real conundrum and it, it, it has a lot of tentacles. Um, at the top of this uh, podcast, um, I played a few uh, brief remarks from a gentleman that I talked to in the course of reporting around this named Patrick North. And it, it's very clear from his experience that a lot of these workers are not coming off the assembly line you know, shiny and polished. Um, many people who are job hunting at this level have been kicked around by life a little bit, like he has. Um, but I spent about two hours talking to him, and I came away feeling as though a lot of companies would like to have him on their payroll. He's very driven, he's bright, he's ambitious, he's energetic, and even with all of these challenges that he's faced. Um, so, you know, we talk a lot about what workers have to do to make themselves appealing to companies do companies have to bend a little bit do they maybe have to say we're going to overlook a criminal record as long as it's not anything worrisome do they need to maybe pay a little bit better i mean what are we what are we asking from the employer side yeah well starting with that pay um as they calculate the average wage in the state, we have been very stagnant. Um, the, the nation as a whole has not been doing great, but uh, we've been very stagnant. Some of that is sort of how you calculate the number because we know through the Great Recession that we lost a lot of um, blue-collar, well-paying blue-collar jobs, and they've been replayed with, replaced with lower-paying service jobs and, and the number. Um, but even when you get past that, there's been some stagnancy in the wages being paid. So um, simple economics is if you want to attract talent, you pay a higher wage, and, and that's going to come. Uh, our anecdotal look at this, not real deep dive, but, but sort of anecdotally, we see that when a lot of companies are paying the higher wage, they're attracting people from the next business over. So it's just sort of the hamster wheel turning without us getting anywhere. You they're, fill they're one hole at the expense of somebody at the expense of a different employer. Um, we've, you know, chambers of commerce and others have been dealing with the check the box and, and some of these things. Ban the box. Ban the box. Which uh, is a, which for people who don't know, right. it's a, it's, it says that uh, employers may no longer um, ask you about a criminal record in the initial stage of hiring because as anybody with a felony will tell you, um, you know, often as soon as they see that you have a criminal record, you just are immediately round filed. Even though it may be years in your past, um, mm-hmm. it may be for an offense that, um, you know, you have a, a story about why this is never going to happen again. They just don't want to hear it. It's That's their policy. Right. So. So, yeah, um, the realism is that um, 
that it's a very tight labor market. And if employers want to find that talent, they can't continue to operate with all the policies that existed decades before when it was a different time in a different economy. Um, we're going to have to continue to wrangle with these things and, and get our arms around them. It's not necessarily that we're just learning about them, but um, you know, it's change isn't easy, I guess, is the, right. is the bottom line on those things. Yeah, well, it never is. So, Okay, Eric, thanks so much. Before we wrap up, I want to tell you a little more about Patrick North, who we heard from at the top of this podcast. He's doing great today, and he will undoubtedly prosper in the future. He got his act together with the help of Wayne Metropolitan Community Action Agency, which put him and his wife into a basic financial development program. They learned how to better manage their money and plan for the future. He finished his associate's degree. Today, they own their own home. Patrick has a good job, his wife is starting her own business, and their family is growing. Needless to say, he's not taking drugs anymore and has been sober almost five years. But he needed that help to make all this happen. So keep that in mind the next time you think of this issue. And that will do it for this edition of Facts Matter, the Citizens Research Council of Michigan podcast. Remember, the council operates as a public resource, and all of our papers, along with blogs, op-eds, and other resources, are available for download on our website, crcmich.org. We operate as a nonprofit, thanks to Michigan's corporations, foundations, and generous individuals like you. If you'd like to make a donation, go to our website, crcmich.org, and click the Get Involved tab on the homepage. We also welcome feedback, which you can send via email to crcmich at crcmich.org. I'm Nancy Derringer, and until next time, I leave you with this observation by our founding president, Lent Upson. The right to criticize government is also an obligation to know what you're talking about. <laughs>